Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. All of a sudden I start hearing screaming around the corner and I see a mother and her son running down the street trying to chase a car. I just see, heard someone screaming and I just looked out the window and her mom was just chasing a car and telling like, help, help, you know, they killed my daughter. On Friday at 7.30 in the morning, a parent's worst nightmare occurred. A young girl was abducted from her home. Officers also say it appears Duran did put up a fight during her abduction. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, who's wearing glasses. Do I've, those have lenses, like prescription lenses in them? Yes, I'm not Morrissey, circa 1986, <laughs> <laughs> with a hearing aid and glasses. You know no. what's so fucked up is I was looking at pictures of me from high school when I was obviously super emo, and I wore the glasses with no lenses however i have terrible eyesight and need the lenses in my glasses but was still wearing lens uh, lensless glasses that's that's ironic in that's, a maybe it was a self-fulfilling prophecy i just and then you needed glasses because you yeah. you willed yourself to need them i've always been blind <laughs> but. I, I, all i know of the the old jack pictures is her walking so i just think of you walking around with a cupcake all the time just from that picture of you with the cupcake <laughs> i just think of you with like side swept bangs yeah like very very like dramatic bangs and it's a cupcake and an ugly doll. Those are the a two. cupcake and ugly doll and like an acrylic necklace of a rib cage and like a Bowie <laughs> lightning ball. Yes, and just pounds and pounds of black makeup. <laughs> yes. Anyways, so what day is it, Billy? You know what? It's museum selfie day. Wow. And I think museums have gotten a little bit of a, a new lease on life because of the selfies. It's also National Bagel Day, too. It's also not that interests me. It's yes. that is interesting. It's also National Ditch Your New Year's Eve Resolutions Day. Yeah, didn't I, make I think, any, so no problem. Yeah, Same But it's two. It's been two weeks, and everybody has officially gone off the wagon because nobody has self control. Yeah. Nope. No, you'll you'll see that there's a lot less gym, and even the advertisers know too. They're yeah. just like, so all right, we're done. Down. No, yeah, the, the Peloton budget is is completely done at this point. Right. <laughs> That's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety, because this could be you. case takes us back to August 31st of 2012. Whistle by Flo Rida and We're Never Getting Back Together by Taylor Swift were topping the charts. And movies The Good Doctor and The Possession were in theaters. And on this Friday morning, residents in the Las Vegas suburb of Henderson, they're starting their day. And walking down the street was a high school senior named Gary Heidman. And he was headed to Green Valley High School when he suddenly heard this commotion. And he heard cries of distress. And he could see a woman running down the street in total panic. And she's yelling, call 911. They've kidnapped my daughter. Following the woman is a teenage boy holding a baseball bat. And the two of them seem to be chasing after a car. And they keep running and they disappear 
out of Gary's view. Gary calls 911 and the Hendersonville police are dispatched. And when the police arrived, they spoke to the woman whose name was Aurora Duran. And she was essentially hyperventilating. She was in such a state that she struggled to explain to officers what was happening, what had happened. And she just kept repeating, follow the car, follow the car, as she motioned towards the end of the street. It took some time to calm her down, enough for her to explain what happened. And according to her, she'd been helping her two youngest children, Kevin and Emily, get ready for school when there was a knock at their front door. And Aurora's 17-year-old daughter, Melissa, went over to answer it. But instead of a simple conversation or whatever was going to happen if someone knocks on your door, Aurora heard Melissa screaming for help. She ran towards the front door, and when she got there, she saw her daughter being dragged outside by two unknown men. To her horror, she realized the men were trying to pull Melissa out of the house and into a car that was waiting by the curb. Melissa was fighting for her life, punching, kicking, and struggling as hard as she possibly could, but the men overpowered her and shoved her into the back seat. Melissa Duran was literally stolen out of her home in broad daylight. The car sped off and Melissa's mom and brother start chasing it on foot, but they're helpless in stopping what was happening. The police were baffled at what they were hearing. How did this happen? Why did this happen? Who could be responsible and what exactly were they dealing with here? One of the police cruisers took off up the street trying to catch up with this mystery red car. And then suddenly a teenage girl pulled up to them. She identified herself as Melissa's best friend, Jennifer, and said that she was on her way to the Duran home to print off a school project and drive Melissa to school. When she saw Melissa's mom talking to cops, she pulled over to see what was going on. So the police regrouped and they turned to Melissa's mom for more information. And first up, did she see the license plate when she was chasing the car? But she hadn't had a chance to absorb those tag numbers. Her adrenaline was pumping, and this is a mother watching her baby be snatched from her. And in that situation, you're all about catching the car and getting her back. You're not thinking about, you know, uh, getting the tags and maybe finding the car later. So they asked her if these men that she had seen looked familiar to her, and she said no. She had no idea who they were and had never seen them before. And the men had covered their faces, they had baseball caps, they had sunglasses, they had bandanas over their mouths. So she never got a real clear look at them, but she was able to discern that they were young and Hispanic, but they were complete strangers to her. And she didn't recognize any voices or behaviors, and no names had been mentioned during the abduction. And back at the Duran house... Uh, The youngest daughter, Emily, she had been frantically trying to get in touch with her father, Alejandro, to tell him what was going on, but he wasn't answering his cell phone. Right. And so at this point, the police all go inside of the Duran home and start questioning the family. What did people see? What did they know? They just needed to find out anything they could. And when they were inside the house, Aurora, the mother's cell phone rang. Melissa's sister, Emily, reached over and answered the phone. And there was a man on the other end of the line. And he was looking for Aurora, the mom. Melissa's best friend, Jennifer, was sitting next to Emily and took the phone from her and put it up to her ear. All Jennifer could hear on the other end was the sound of a car engine. And she got this sick, instinctual feeling that it was Melissa's kidnappers on the other end. Who is this? She screamed into the phone. And then the line went dead. Everyone in the home started to panic. Had it actually been Melissa's kidnappers who called, would they call again? Was this really happening? And then Aurora's phone rang again, lighting up with an unknown number. And right now it's around eight o'clock in the morning. Aurora answered the phone and put it on speakerphone for the officers to hear. The voice on the other end of the line was very angry and said, quote, we have your daughter. And if you call the police, we're going to kill her. Then the line went dead. And Aurora started to panic because there are already multiple police units parked right in front of her home. And now she's freaking out and doesn't know what to do. So where to start? What kind of criminal would be so bold to kidnap a girl in broad daylight from her front door of her family home? And then why would anyone target Melissa, a high school senior? So they're desperate for clues. The police decide to canvas the neighborhood just looking for anything. Perhaps one of the neighbors might have seen something important or they might have insight on who 
maybe might want to target Melissa. And already there's crowds of neighbors that start gathering around the house and they start giving officers their version of the events. Remember, it was eight o'clock. People were just getting up. They were getting ready for their day. But it was one neighbor in particular that had the officer's attention. And this neighbor said that he had a home security system and it had a surveillance camera that faced the street. And the officers could come and look at the system and his cameras very well could have caught Melissa's kidnappers on tape. So luckily, there was footage, and this footage depicted a clear image of a late model two-door passenger car. It was bright red with a blue fender. And luckily, this is a very distinct car, which could be helpful in tracking down the person or persons responsible. Police go over what they have so far. Melissa's abductors had Mother Aurora's personal cell phone number, and Melissa was targeted at home which suggests that this isn't a stranger abduction. Or it is, but it's purposeful. They want this person for for some reason. She was targeted, yeah. Her kidnappers had to be someone who knew the family, but who and for what reason? And maybe they didn't. So there's just a lot of questions at this point. The abduction also occurred when Melissa's dad wasn't home. Melissa's dad would have been the only one in the household strong enough to potentially intervene in an abduction. Was this a coincidence or was this purposeful? And at this point, the police took a look at the Duran family as a whole. They couldn't rule out the possibility that a member of Melissa's family could be involved due to the fact that stranger abductions are so incredibly rare. And they learned from friends and neighbors that the Duran family was living the American dream. Father Alejandro and Mother Aurora had emigrated from Mexico and settled in Nevada to raise their family. Alejandro had first come to Nevada to pursue a landscaping job at a local golf course, but then made the decision to start his own landscaping business. So what had started off as a few homes with an assistant had grown into a successful company with a dozen employees and clients that included apartment buildings and malls. And though the family wasn't extremely wealthy, they lived a comfortable life and they could afford a nice two-story home in the suburbs. The neighbors had nothing but nice things to say about the Durans, so the police had to keep digging. It happened early Friday. 17-year-old Melissa Duran was abducted from her home. She's a great girl. I don't I don't know, you know, she's doing her schoolwork and stuff and working, so I don't I have no idea who would do this or why. Police say two men knocked on the door of Melissa's family's home in Henderson, Nevada, while she was getting ready for school. When the teen opened the door, the two men grabbed her. Police say this video from a neighbor's security camera shows the moment the kidnappers sped off with the teen. Witnesses stood by helplessly. All of a sudden I start hearing screaming around the corner and I see a mother and her son running down the street trying to chase a car. I just see, heard someone screaming and I just looked out the window and her mom was just chasing a car and telling like help, help, you know, they killed out my daughter. Police say Melissa's parents then received two phone calls, her abductors demanding money for her safe return. The police learned from Melissa's friends that Melissa spent most of her time at school and at her job at the Galleria at Sunset Mall, where she worked part-time for about a year at the hot dog on a stick. Her friends described her as peppy and ambitious, but she was more the type to be found studying in the library than engaging in the kinds of risky lifestyle choices that could have gotten her kidnapped. And Melissa's best friend then told the police that Melissa had recently invested in a new energy drink business with partners that seemed sketchy. And from what police could deduce from her descriptions, the business kind of sounded like a pyramid scheme. Had Melissa gone into business with the wrong people? Now, this felt like a stretch. No one likes an MLM. Zero people like No MLM. one, except for the people doing them. Yes. Although the Rodan and Fields has an amazing no, eyelash serum. No, no, no. I'm sorry no, they do, no. but I'm afraid to order it because then I'm going to get sucked into yes. like a, a, a communication with an MLM's they're never. They're going to be hitting you up until the day it's you not worth die. It, but it's a good product. No, but it's not worth it. <laughs> virtually every Facebook group you'll see, the first... The, the first, first rule is no MLMs. No, no the first rule is don't no hate speech, yeah. don't be a dick. The second rule is no MLMs. Yeah. But then somehow they still keep creeping in. And you know what they do? The people that are MLMs, they'll start private messaging people yes. to recruit them into their new essential oils mm-hmm. company. Mm. But so no one likes an MLM except for the people that are in them. But an MLM abduction, that seemed out there. But it was a place to start at least. So investigators decide that their best bet was to track down these mysterious energy drink partners. 
And Melissa's mother found the names of the two young men uh, in Melissa's things and gave them to the investigators. And soon the officers were talking to those guys. Meanwhile, her father, Alejandro, came back to the house and he'd be working on a property and had left his cell phone charging in his car. His sister, Carmen, had gone on site to get him. And now he and about a half dozen other family members were at the house comforting Aurora and trying to just rack their brains to figure out who might have done this. Then the phone rang. Melissa's parents answered it, thinking it would be the kidnappers. But it wasn't. It was Melissa. She was alive. So it was the first Friday of my senior year. And I was getting ready for school in the morning. School started at 8. It was about like 7 in the morning. Um, I was actually waiting for my best friend to come pick me up. Um, she was going to come print out something from my computer. So we were just going to um, carpool to school together. And um, I was actually in the living room watching Spongebob. And she, I heard a doorbell. Um, and I went to the door and... My door has a, it's like a glass window, so I can see who's on the other side. And saw a man, but he wasn't wearing a mask, he was covered up. Um, and my dad also has a landscaping company, and he always has workers that come in. They come to the house and get keys, paychecks, things like that. Um, it kind of looks like maybe one of his workers. So I opened the door, I said hello, didn't get a response. And then all of a sudden, um, I got dirt or scent thrown into my face and then next thing I knew he was kind of just tugging me out of the door and I uh, I was struggling with him going back and forth and I had noticed another man running into the house so I thought we were getting robbed you know we were just struggling back and forth for a little bit I started screaming as he was still like you know pulling me like away from my house towards the car um, and so he was finally, you know, able to get me into the car. And so once we got in the car, um, I was in the back seat with him, and uh, I was kind of able to see that there was obviously a driver and somebody in the passenger seat. Once we got into the car, he I still had my phone in my hand, and I was trying to somewhat like hide it and put it under my shirt, but somebody called me. And so they immediately took my phone and um, they had, like, the first thing they had ever told me was, you better hope that your mom is not calling the police because we have eyes on your house. And if they do, we'll know and we'll kill you. And so once we got to where we were going, um, they immediately, like, tied up my, they didn't tie up my hands yet, but they had blinded me. They had put, like, a hat over me. Um, and they had walked me immediately up some stairs and into a room, sat me down. Um, and then they had tied, tied me up, tied my hands and my feet up, um, adjusted my blindfold, put like an extra blindfold over my eyes and kind of sat there for a couple minutes. And then um, they came in and they pretty much told me, um, they're all speaking to me in Spanish, but they told me that it was a ransom and that they wanted a certain amount of money, a certain amount of time, and that they wanted me to call my parents and tell them what was going on. And <clears throat> again, that they better not call the police, um, that they have eyes on the house and they'll know and they'll kill me and they'll kill them. So they tried to call my dad and he didn't answer. And then they had me call my mom and uh, my poor mom was just so frantic. I still remember hearing her her voice, like, desperation. Yeah, I, the fear really kicked in once I when, I... when we actually first got to the apartment and I was in the bar, and the, they had, like, adjusted my blindfold and put, like, a hat over me, and they were like oh, you better not, like, you better not fucking run. And then one of the one of the guys was like, oh, she knows better than to run. Like, when he had said that is, like, when I had first really felt fear. I remember, like, I kind of started shaking at that moment. The kidnappers said that they were going to murder Melissa if the family didn't come up with $150,000. And this family lived a really comfortable life, but they didn't have one hundred fifty k 
liquid lying around. But they could figure it out. Anything to get Melissa back, obviously. Melissa's father told her to tell her kidnappers they would get the money together immediately. And once the call ended, the Duran family at least now had hope, but where were they going to find this money to save Melissa? Maybe they could mortgage their house. Maybe they could sell the company vans. They're going through all these ideas. And the detectives could sense, and, and they saw it, that Alejandro's distress and pulled him aside. And they said, listen, don't worry about the ransom. The police department is going to cover the 150 if it comes to that. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on the realreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So after Melissa hung up the phone, and now they know about this ransom demand, they are terrified. And they really did have reason to be because the situation they had on their hands with Melissa's abduction was very, very serious and very rare. Because according to the FBI, only 2% of abductions fall under the category of ransom kidnappings. So not only are people just out of their element, police haven't really dealt with these scenarios much either because they're so, so far and few between. Not only that, Aurora said she didn't recognize the abductors. So it could be a stranger abduction. And these are extremely rare also. Even though stranger abductions are the ones true crime fans hear about on shows and podcasts, According to the FBI, on average, fewer than 350 people under the age of 21 have been abducted by strangers in the United States per year since 2010, which means only 0.01% of abductions are perpetrated by a stranger. And I found a study which was interesting. The Washington State 
attorney general conducted a study on stranger abductions and found that in 74% of the cases, victims were dead within three hours. So if a loved one is abducted by a stranger, the odds of them living longer than three hours, you only have a 26% chance of your loved one living beyond that. So these are the odds we're dealing with here. I mean, it could be a stranger. It's a ransom. It's very uncertain. Like nobody really knows who's involved in this case, how this is going to go because of the odd circumstances. Police are aware of these statistics, and while they remained hopeful, there was a piece of them that feared that Melissa may already be dead. Because at this point in the investigation, it's now 10 a.m., and it had been three hours since Melissa was snatched from her home. Investigators knew that her chances of making it back home alive were completely dependent on how quickly they could find her, and the hours were ticking by. They had told me, you know, to tell my parents that they had 24 hours to get the ransom, I basically just sat there in the room um, all day, tied up and blindfolded, and they came in every, you know, 30 minutes or so to check up on me. Um, the first half of the day, I did notice that they had very loud music playing outside, and I'm assuming in case I was I screamed or anything like that. Um, and even at one point, they came in and asked me if, I wanted them to play my favorite song, which I thought was really weird. Um, And they had turned on the TV for me, and I remember Judge Judy was on, like, all day. Um, And, you know, they would come in periodically as well to tell me, like, if I thought that my my parents would be able to come up with the money and that if I thought that if my dad really loved me enough to pay for it and just crazy things like that. But one thing that I did notice throughout that time was that they kept mentioning my dad a lot and kind of personal things that like only somebody who knew my father would know, certain things about his company. I had noticed that they asked for my mom's number, but they never asked for my father's number. So I thought that was really interesting. So with this ransom request, the investigation shifted from investigating people in Melissa's life to the people in her father's life. And the way the kidnapping took place, knowing the dad would be there, knowing the mom's cell phone number, and the relatively small amount of money, it seemed like an amount that was feasible for a small business owner who owned his own house to come up with quickly. So it all pointed to the theory that these kidnappers knew Alejandro and his business. Was there anyone who wanted to do him harm? Did Alejandro have any enemies? These are all questions that the police were going through. The idea that the kidnapper could be linked to him stunned Melissa's dad, and he told police that, listen, I'm a quiet man, I live an honest life, I never had conflict with anyone. And all of Melissa's family members are at the house and they're throwing ideas to the police when Melissa's aunt says something that catches their attention. And she says that there's a former employee of Melissa's father that could be involved. His name was Jose Perez, and Jose had worked for Alejandro's company for three years, but had recently had been let go. And Alejandro and Aurora just couldn't imagine Jose having anything to do with the kidnapping. Jose was kind. He was a generous young man. He was almost like family. And the decision to let him go, they were saying, was was a mutual one. It was not contentious at all. But... Melissa's aunt, who was Aunt Carmen, she wasn't so sure. And she had actually gone to dinner with Jose a few weeks prior, and she found that the young man seemed to be hanging out with some kind of sketchy and unsavory people. With no other leads to go off of, the police determined that starting with Jose was a good idea. But this guy wasn't easy to track down at all. He seemed to be constantly moving from apartment to apartment and changing phones all the time. And they checked multiple addresses and listed phone numbers for him, but none of the addresses were current and the phones were all disconnected. The detectives decided to go through all of the Duran's employee records, searching for addresses off checks. If not Jose, it could be possibly some of the other one of Alejandro's employees that was behind the kidnapping. And meanwhile, one team of officers scanned through Alejandro's business records and another team was quartering off the house and detectives confiscated everyone's phone and interrogated everyone at the scene. No one was allowed to come in or out. 
at this point in the investigation. And it was now 3.50 p.m. And we're eight hours had passed since Melissa's kidnapping. And they're sitting by their phone. They're waiting for that other call. They're di- they want to hear Melissa's voice. They're dying to hear it, but they hear nothing. And despite the Duran family's concerns that any media attention might doom her daughter, the Henderson police feel that they have to pull the trigger on an Amber Alert, especially because that suspected vehicle was so distinct. Remember, it was red with that blue bumper. And with the Amber Alert, details of this bizarre kidnapping hit the news. So I remember at one point I was listening to the TV and it cut and I heard like the news thing. It was like Channel 3 live um, Amber Alert for 17-year-old Melissa Duran. Like at first I had got a sense of relief just knowing that they were out there looking for me. Um, but then, like, I, I, like immediately after that, I had felt like, oh, okay, like, I need to, I'm freaking out because if they hear this, like, you know, I don't want them to hear it because I don't want them to do anything to me. But definitely hearing that Amber Alert, like, really, really made everything real for me because I feel like even at, in, into that moment, like, I was still in disbelief. And, like, my heart started pounding, like, so bad. And as soon as the, the commercial or the alert, like, went off, they walked in. And they didn't mention anything about hearing about hearing the Amber Alert or anything. But I just remember asking them to shut the TV off um, because I, I was thinking that maybe if they heard it, they would freak out and do something to me. But this isn't where Melissa's fears ended. My worst fear was definitely being sexually assaulted. <clears throat> like I, my biggest thing was, you know, like being raped or anything like that. Like I just remember like the first few hours, I was just waiting for them to come in and like, you know, do something. And I had even remembered at one point, like they had came in and they had picked me up and I thought they were, like, picking me up to put me on, like, a bed or something, but they had just picked me up to put me, to, like, move me to the other side of the room. But I remembering, like, I remember, like, trembling with fear, thinking, like, oh, my God, like, this is, this is like, where they, they're going to do that. Sun was setting on day one of the investigation into the abduction of Melissa Duran. And Melissa was left bound and blindfolded in a strange room while police and Melissa's family waited in limbo for more info. And their biggest concern was that the kidnappers would get spooked and kill Melissa and abandon the ransom demands for fear of getting caught and then just run. Melissa's family was terrified because despite an aggressive investigation, they were no closer to finding where she was. And the police had also failed to track down this suspicious ex-employee, Jose Perez. Then the detectives received the call they'd been hoping for. Someone had spotted the kidnapped vehicle in a remote area near Sunrise Mountain. But the excitement turned to panic when they learned that there was a very serious issue with this car. The car was on fire. And the police arrived at the location of the vehicle and moved quickly to put out the fire and preserve whatever clues had remained. But the fire had done a lot of damage and there was no knowing if police had arrived too late to save anything. As soon as it was safe to examine the vehicle, investigators sifted through the car for clues. They checked under the seats of the scorched car and found something pretty disturbing. Tucked in the back seat was one of the sandals that Melissa had been wearing when she was abducted. Where they found this car was in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert. So their minds went to a very dark place. Could Melissa be alive hidden somewhere in the desert? Or had they brought her here to dispose of her? Had they killed her already? It's it's what every investigator would think because this this these are such unusual circumstances in terms of this abduction. No one knows what's going to happen. It certainly wouldn't have been the first body dump in the desert surrounding Las Vegas, and it wasn't unheard of for kidnappers to demand ransom even after their victim had been killed. Officers at this point are fearing the worst. However, there was one small silver lining in the discovery of the car that was on fire. The kidnappers had been reckless. They took off the license plates from the car, 
but they forgot to scratch off the VIN numbers on the vehicle. And those are still intact. And the VIN number is a giant breadcrumb that investigators hope would lead them back to the kidnappers. Cops continued to process the car in the desert while the other teams were set up at the Duran home waiting for another call from the kidnappers. If they wanted the ransom money, they'd have to call back with more instructions. And at this point, the police opted not to tell the Duran family about the burning car dumped in the desert. And when the kidnappers called again, the Durans needed to be convincing and not hysterical about what could be happening to their daughter. Nothing could tip off the kidnappers that the police were already on their trail. And that's super interesting. And imagine just, this is a very, very chaotic, emotionally charged situation. Yeah. Where the family's just in peril. They've heard their daughter's voice. Is she going to live? Will they kill her? The police find out about this car. There's a flip-flop in there. Yeah. It's like they're probably feeling so guilty that they can't tell them. Yeah. But also, like, if they call back, if there's a chance she's still alive, we need to have you desperate for her to be alive. They have to play the role. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they told them that if you call the police, we'll kill your daughter. So if they knew about the car, they obviously were talking to the police. It's just a whole catch-22 fucked up. And these Henderson detectives, I, I mean... Weird shit happens in Vegas. Yeah, I Weird bet you this. Happen. I and, bet and, you more abductions happen there than anywhere else in the country. And, oh, and, for and gambling. gambling. Oh. Yeah. And Henderson is just right above Vegas. I've worked a lot of cases with them, and it's just like if they saw a car being burnt out in the middle of the desert, they they're not thinking this is going to end well. No, right? With a yeah, with a woman's flip flop, not yeah. good. Not good. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge. Inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. So back at the Duran home, by now, news is out there, and the news vans are lining the street. This is an unheard of case. A 17-year-old high school senior has been abducted from her f- home. and In broad daylight. In broad daylight. And there's no, there's no, like, stench of a hoax. Like, everybody believes this. These circumstances are crazy, and everyone's terrified. So within the perimeter, the, the perimeter the police had set, officers had set up a monitoring van to track all calls coming in and going out of the Duran household. All they had to do now was just wait for a call. Then the phone rang. It was as if the entire house jumped. Detectives ushered mom and dad into a closed-off bedroom and set up for this call, and they braced themselves to answer. The family was desperate to hear her voice, but the investigators were perhaps even more worried at this point. They knew about the burned-out car. If she wasn't on the call, the desert body dump theory would start to take hold, and this would look really, really grim. If she was, maybe, just maybe, they would have time left to find her. So, surrounded by detectives, Dad Alejandro picked up the telephone and answered. The voice on the other end of the line was Melissa. So... Relief washed over them. She was still okay. She was still alive. Then Melissa told her father that her kidnappers wanted him to bring the $150,000 in one of his orange company vans to a location that they would tell him about later. They were going to call him shortly and give Alejandro this drop-off location. Once they had the money, they would give Alejandro the coordinates to where Melissa was. And then the phone cut out. Melissa was gone. And the minds of Melissa's family just became filled with dark thoughts. I mean, they saw sort of the light at the end of the tunnel, but 
were they really going to go through with this and give back Melissa? And if they dropped her off somewhere, would they have the decency to drop her off somewhere safe or would it be in the middle of the desert? Remember, we are Henderson and Las Vegas is literally right in the middle and surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of miles of desert. Scary, dangerous desert. Scorpions, heat, snakes, snaddle rakes, you name it, they've got it. There was chaos following this call, and the family was so distraught over the call that they failed to notice that there is this trickle of detectives that were leaving their Duran home. Slowly, officers started to pack up and leave the house until only a couple units were left behind to guard the perimeter. And what Aurora didn't know was that when the kidnappers had made their last ransom call, they left more than just demands. Officers had tracked the cell phone call to an apartment complex on Flower Avenue in northern Las Vegas, which was only 16 minutes away from the Duran home. A cross-reference of the VIN number on the charred car had also led police to a unit within this apartment complex. So armed with all this evidence, officers had applied for a search warrant and started mobilizing to storm the apartment building. Las Vegas Metro Police SWAT team members were gearing up, and the fight would be coming to the kidnappers. Would Melissa be at the location, and what state would she be in even if she was there? A van of Las Vegas Metro Police SWAT members headed out at midnight to the Flower Avenue apartment building. 17 hours after her kidnapping, police units were attempting to rescue Melissa from her captors. And this was a really seedy apartment complex on the sort of periphery of Vegas. There were 30 units in this complex, and it seemed as though there was music blaring or TV blasting loudly from within each apartment. It clearly housed a younger, more late night crowd, which is a euphemism for who knows, riffraff type people. Guns drawn, police made their move. The SWAT team burst through the apartment door. Upon their entrance, a man inside was startled. He threw his hands up in the air. And police corner this man, they cuff this man, and they would later learn that this man was named Mariano Sanchez hyphen Sanchez. They put him in cuffs. They went room to room calling out for Melissa, but there was no sign of her. She wasn't in this apartment. So the police are thinking, shit, could they have gotten this wrong? They had the VIN and they had the phone call that they traced. Both of them led them to this address. But where was Melissa? So they're hoping they hadn't blown their one and only lead, and they start turning the apartment upside down. Police canvassed the apartment carefully for clues, and they made a discovery in the bathroom. There was a girl's gold bracelet behind the toilet, and this was an apartment with no other feminine items. It obviously belonged to a guy, so it didn't belong to anybody who lived there. And meanwhile, Mariano, the man who was found in this apartment, was not talking and claimed to have no idea what they were talking about with the gold bracelet. He didn't know anything about a missing girl. They had it all wrong. So the officers frisked this man, and they found a cell phone in Mariano's pocket. They looked in the cell phone, and within that cell phone, on the call logs, were calls made to Melissa's parents. This was the phone that made these ransom calls. There was no denying it. This guy, Mariano, was one of Melissa's kidnappers. But where was Melissa? And of course, their minds go to the dark place. Like, had they foiled their one chance at saving her? The police knew that Mariano had information about Melissa, so they pressured him to give up his accomplices. And as he's faced with this evidence against him, and he didn't want to go down alone, Mariano cracked. If they wanted to find Melissa, she wasn't too far. He told police that she was in another apartment only a few doors down. So officers stealthily made their way out of the apartment and to the second location. And from the outside of the second apartment, officers could hear a television inside of the house blaring at full blast. So they bust down the door and they find three men inside. All three are quickly subdued and then they start calling out for Melissa. I just remember like being down there and they were just like, it's okay, it's okay, like we got you, like just feeling so like comforted. And, um, just like, not even like believing that what like everything that had just happened they just removed the blindfold from me um because there was must have been like 10 SWAT members that had you know kind of all came in at the same time so I think just at some point like you know my hands got untied and my you know my blindfold came off 
Melissa's nightmare was finally over, and she was taken to be reunited with her family. Oh, it was the craziest thing. Um, I just, I remember being, pulling up in the truck uh, with one of the investigators and having, like, 30 members of my family outside. And, like, I just remember running to my parents and just, like, being in their arms again, like, it was, it was, I don't know the right word, but it was, it was crazy. A Nevada teenager taken from her home in broad daylight and held for ransom has been found. Early this morning, police found her unharmed in an apartment near her home almost 24 hours after she was kidnapped. An Amber Alert was issued and overnight was expanded to cover two states. But early this morning, at 4.30 Pacific time, they found Melissa inside a local apartment unharmed. But then the officers had to give some bad news to the family. One of the men arrested, the man that all the other three referred to as the mastermind, was someone that they had known and trusted. Their good friend of many years and former employee, Jose Sanchez. One of the guys, his name was Jose, um, he worked for my dad's company for about two or three years. Um, my dad had let him go because Jose was... Um, kind of stealing clients from my dad. And when my dad had let go of Jose, Jose, you know, knew that he had messed up and he, you know, was, didn't, didn't blame my dad for letting him go. Like they ended, they ended on good terms. Yeah. And that's why my dad was also, you know, even more hurt and confused because they had ended on good terms. They still talked here and there. Uh, my, my dad helped Jose a lot, a lot out during their, you know, their time together um, with money or just with stuff. Like, my dad's always been that type of person where he's kind of like very fatherly and he likes to take care of people and he, he likes to help when and where he can. After Melissa's rescue, it was discovered that the men working with Jose were his cousins. And they had a reputation in Mexico for being experienced kidnappers and just all-around bad guys. When police raided the house, they found what's known as O-sheets in the apartment for payments totaling thousands of dollars. And police suspected that this money was related to human trafficking. Two months later, Melissa bravely took the stand to testify against the four men including her family's betrayer, Jose. And the prosecution was fearful that the men might be deported instead of serving time, so they fought really hard to get the maximum sentence. Ultimately, Jose Perez and his co-conspirators were sentenced to life in prison for the kidnapping of Melissa Duran and the extortion of the Duran family. I don't think my dad ever felt like it was his fault because he knew it wasn't his fault, but he, you know, he had said to me before that, he was very sorry that this happened to me and that, you know, he wishes that it had happened to him instead of me. I honestly, I feel really sorry for them because I can't believe that they, like, did something so stupid but for money and they just ruined their whole lives because they were young, too. I remember in court, one of the guys had, you know, like, made a statement to me and he, like, cried during his testimony. He said that he is really sorry and that he prays for me at night. Like for a second, I, I just, I felt really bad for him. Like this is where this guy's life is at and this is where it's gonna be for probably forever. I couldn't forgive them because of what they really did to my parents. You know, the, the pain that they really put my parents through is something that I feel like kind of hurts me more than and think about like what I went through personally. Melissa obviously showed tremendous strength throughout this ordeal. She survived this violent abduction. She faced her abductors in court and she managed to move forward with her life. An experience like this leaves its mark on you, whether you like it or not. And in the months that followed this ordeal, Melissa felt that. Mostly just, I was terrified of being home alone. Um, I, I would get home around two 
and my mom would leave to go pick up my siblings who would get out at three. And like, I remember, you know, not wanting to go with her. Like I, I didn't go with her to pick up the kids. So I would be home alone for an hour and I would, you know, feel like I was hearing things in the house or that I would just, I just felt like I just did not feel comfortable. And I would go outside and just wait for my mom, like outside, because I just felt like being in the house was just, I couldn't. Um, or, and even just little things like whenever I would come home from work or I would come home, like anytime at night, I would run from my car to my house. And like, I, I would just have like crazy amount of fear and anxiety. And it was more so of like being at my house. And I think it's because it, it happened at my house because I didn't really feel scared when I was out at other places. It was more so just when I was here at home. Honestly, so Melissa, I found this story ages ago when I was working on Three Days to Live and we didn't source a ton of shit, you guys, because I interviewed everybody in this story and I wrote this for TV. So those are my sources. All right. So that being said, I found Melissa on Instagram like four year, three or four years ago. And she is the most collected sort of steady person I've ever met who's been through something like this. And when we were talking, she, I was just like, how, how are you so okay? And this is what she said. I just didn't want to let them win. They already put me through a traumatic event and I didn't want to let them continue to affect my life in that way. It sucks and it's traumatic, but you have to take it for what it is. But the best thing you can do is to be better and just heal and just not let them win. I think just my overall perspective in life now because of what has happened to me has just changed so much for the better. I don't know what could have happened to me and I could have died and I didn't live my life the way I wanted to or I didn't do the things I wanted to because... I was scared or whatever. And now it's not that I take life so lightly. You can really die at any moment. We are so grateful to Melissa. I met her years ago on the show, but she's, she told me recently that she's a huge fan of the podcast, which is how it came up that she should come on. And Melissa, I am so in awe of just your resilience and she's traveling the world now. She's really living her, her best life and not the cliche basic way. But this girl is just fucking amazing, Melissa. We love you. Thank you so much for coming on. Your story is inspiring. And people who've been through trauma will look to you as you're moving on and you're not letting this define you and you didn't let them win. And we're so proud and honored that you came on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for letting us tell your story. Um, if anybody else has a story they'd like to tell, email us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Lingutter, at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. Just search The First Degree up in the little search bar. Uh, we're talking everything true crime. All the time. All the time. Go get some merch on our website. Lots of goodies up there. And stick around because we're going to kill some time and talk about The Bachelor after this. You sure? So until then, remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But, but not that close. Happy Bagel Day. Ooh. Happy Museum Selfie Day. Sources for today's episode includes ABC, CBS, CNN, Oxygen's Three Days to Live, Court Documents, and always, and of course, our first degree interview is always our largest source. Welcome to Killing Time. I got to fix my mic a little bit. Jared. The Killing Time. <laughs> While she takes a break. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, we've got a very special guest. Well, not so special. Is it oh, redundant guest. Or redundant guest. We've got like the only guest that we ever have on Killing Time. He's a reoccurring character on the Killing Time. <laughs> yes. Hi, guys. Jared, a.k.a. Jerry. A.K.A. Sailor Jerry. Sailor Jerry. Great to be back. Monaco. So we thought today for Killing Time, what goes better with murder than The Bachelor? Right. Mm -hmm. So 
we all watched The Bachelor. Jared has now been sucked in against his will. So we're going to like do a little recap. We'll talk some Bachelor talk and see how it goes. I'm, I'm game. Yeah. Me too. Oh, Billy, you didn't watch the whole thing? I or? did not watch the whole thing because apparently it was a three-hour It was a three-hour uh, event. Episode. And, um, but watching the, the intros... Yeah. When they get out of the limo, yep. Um, I thought it was very telling because I started watching that too, and actually, I actually, I, I, I for some reason, I was just strumming my guitar. I was like playing my guitar, and I just started <laughs> making up songs about each girl <laughs> as oh, they no. came out. Were they then, sad? But no, they yeah. sort of just like, <laughs> why did the producers make me dress up? In a paper airplane, like that, because you know that wasn't her idea. Yes, I think they are. See, my favorite ones are the ones where they have to they, the walk into the like oh. front of the mansion is like a hundred feet. feet. Yeah, yeah. So the whole time they're doing it, it's just like getting and they're making eye contact. With no, the, the worst one was the girl. I think it was like she came in on a little wheelie thing on a little yes. plane. And she was even farther, farther away. And she was yeah. and she just abandoned it at some point. She's like, "Fuck this thing." Yeah. My biggest anxiety watching The Bachelor is when they. It's like further into it but like when they have them go on their dates but they have them walking towards each other for like three minutes i'm like i don't want to make eye contact walking towards somebody for more than two seconds <laughs> no yeah i no. hate, when do you, I hate when do you walking wave, out in front of when people do you acknowledge yeah even sometimes when i see like when i'll go visit jared on tour and i'll get like dropped off in my uber and he's at his tour bus like 50 feet away part. i'm always looking at my phone because i'm like i'm not going to make eye contact with him right now <laughs> i see and he's my boyfriend. you yeah, and i'm just it's like, like you're in a movie uh, and it's too awkward it's so awkward that's when you guys have to start running towards each other haven't you ever seen any movie ever yeah. we did do it one time and it was raining really hard which would have been perfect for that but same yeah. thing yeah no but, then, but then there's so then there's also the um <laughs> the people that don't have the long intro yeah like the, like the like the women that come out that are just like they're there and then they're gone well, and you know say... like you will never be a big person you, you know that they're not going to be anything on this show no and that's the thing it's you guys have seen the bachelor before you know you got to make some big impression doing some, you know, extravagant thing. Instead but of not too extravagant. Not because too anybody extravagant. that dressed up as a shark yeah. or a lobster My or whatever. My favorite yeah. was that they had three flight attendants. Yes. And they're all like, oh, so good. I so am going to be his match, <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever. The girl came in with the wings. Yeah. It's like, I am so the only flight attendant. And then there was like two other ones. Yeah. It was so, so good. I love- because you know that, because you know that like, and, and we know this just working in TV, you know that the casting people are just like, like, this is, oh yeah, this is yeah. awesome. Yeah. So they know that like th- that, that. That is going to create conflict. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do we have any favorites? The girl who plays basketball. Yeah, that's my favorite. She's so gorgeous. Basketball? Yeah. The oh, girl whose yeah. dad is a basketball coach. Yeah. And she's like got long brown hair. Oh, and like, she's like. Wait, so hot. there there was something that I found out today about her. Can you tell me? I forget what her name is. Do you remember her name, Jared? Ma- it starts with an M or something. We I don't just, want a spoiler zone here. This is not a spoiler. This is just something that I found. Her name is Not Oh Madison. Madison. So she had posted an Instagram. This will be a couple days late when oh, this I saw this in Lady Gang. Yeah. She posted an Instagram of her and Peter on their date. And then there's this comment from her that said, Beautiful date, Maddie. You are so genuine and real. So this means that she most likely made a fake a sock Fan puppety account. kind of account to comment good things on her profile and then forgot to switch. Or is there anything wrong with just hyping yourself up? <laughs> Kinda. Oh, is she the one? She the yes. one? Is she the one that came in as the paper airplane? I don't know what she. Oh uh, yes, as. she did. She did. Oh, she did. She was wearing the, the red dress. One? She was wearing yeah, the, the giant paper. paper She's yeah. hot. Yeah. She's really cute. Yeah. I, I immediately, whenever what, I Jared? see anything like that, doesn't sound like monogamy to me. She's hot. <laughs> Wait, so Jared. So when we were watching The Bachelor, I'm like, Jared, if I was The Bachelorette, what would you do to get my attention when you came in? I would be, I would do the old timey voice. I'd be like, hello, Jacqueline. And I'd hop on like one of those bikes that has like the big front tire. Yes. And then I'd ride around <laughs> with my like, monocle. And, and it's like the two tiny tires yeah. and the big front one. And yeah. Yes. Like, hello, Jacqueline. My that's, when, that's what the guy in the saw also rides. Yeah. Saw? In, in the movie Saw. <laughs> he rides a giant the tricycle with the big front wheel and the spiral that? eyes. Can you that's that? you, Jared. It's just squeaky and I'm just yeah. slowly making eye contact. And like, I, I told him he, he'd have to grow his mustache out to where it could like curl it around absolutely oh, God. What so hipster me, that's what he, hipsters look like now in silver lake yeah no but he wouldn't be a hipster he has a perfect face for like a 1920s boxer 
Like you could see on like one of those like you could be flip like, books of what's him. The guy? Oh, why I on Put him up. Why I like, like John L. Sullivan. Yeah. No, but who's the, the guy? Fuck is that? <laughs> he was the no, first heavyweight champion. You could totally be like a more attractive Mickey Rourke in the boxer. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I, Make sure to throw out more attractive. Pre-plastic surgery. Oh, that's what I meant. Did I say the boxer or the wrestler is what I meant? Sorry, Jerry. I knew what you meant. Thank the, you. The boxer is a song it. by Simon and Garfunkel. Um. Yeah. Anyways, but that would be <laughs> his. That would be his intro, Billy. If you, if I had were, to impress a, a woman, what yes. would I do? What would be your stick? Um. You know, I would I would do a lot of research, and it would be related to whatever um uh, she was. Uh, Child trauma she had in the Whatever child trauma, yeah. I would, do, I would do a big background check, and then if there was something where she had a fire, and the only thing that, like, she lost, oh the, she lost the teddy bear in the fire, then I would dress up as a giant teddy bear, yeah. but I'd be burning a little bit, yeah. and that's awful. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I you're, like, know. triggering, you but then really, you're also... Yeah. Yeah. And then saving in a vulnerable moment. Yeah, so yes. it's, it's mass manipulation. Yeah, yeah. but then, I, then it would go wrong, and then I would be the guy that... Oh, you remember the guy with the thing that got on fire and yeah. then he has severe burns. Yeah, and everybody well, would remember that guy. Yeah, that's exactly. a memorable thing And then do. I would be the yeah. Bachelor yeah, the next year and that's where the big it's money all a is. Game that's anyway. how it's a, yeah, it's a big Because return. you know that there's a lot of women that are on the show that, yeah, they want to find true love. No, they and don't. Then there's, but then a lot of them are all right, I'm going to boost my Instagram followers. Oh, yeah. Because it's an immediate, what, 200,000 followers? Some of these girls already have 200,000 followers. Yeah, it's after insane. one, after one, yeah. Yeah. But then there's also the girls that are are like, I want to be the next Bachelorette. So they want their 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 heart broken, and and listen, they might get into it and, and it might become real real for them. Yeah. But a lot of them are thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, maybe I can become the Bachelorette. No, the worst next case time. scenario, you have a bunch of new Instagram followers. Monetize that. Monetize it. Best case scenario, literally, you're the Bachelorette because if you end up with them, you're probably going to break up anyways. But speaking of childhood trauma, the um. The teacups spinning. Oh, my God. Thing. Me and Jack were texting about this mm-hmm. because God. it's like she needed something because it, it makes me feel like they're going to keep her around for a while. Yeah. So she's Or like, they might not because they did this to another girl that had all these fears and they did that like slow montage kind of thing to her too and then they kicked her off. Where she was literally – she got nauseous for a second and she's like, it reminded me of my childhood trauma when I was at the Disneyland ride on the teacups and I got nauseous. And they put this dramatic <laughs> yeah, music like, like she was about to get in an accident. And it was like, it was, it was just teacup. Like that was it. There wasn't like, and then I was kidnapped after it or no. I broke a leg. It was like, I got a little nauseous on the teacup ride and I just was triggered to remember that. So she that. didn't even throw up on the teacups? No, no. She, uh, she might've. She might've, but then the thing is they're going, it's, is it a, called a gyroscope? Yeah. Or is that? Well, it's, Actually, it's, it's Billy will know. It's gyroscope. Euroscope. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know the thing that the spinny thing that they're going on that they do for like G. It's not G force, but the pilot it's like thing. The pilot training. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're putting her oh, on. Oh, that's right. And then so she was nervous no, because she threw up she, on the teacup ride, sure. and then they did a whole. They made montage. it seem like she was like traumatized, hung up on it, and you but know she, she was probably it was probably a throwaway comment. But they I don't made know. It. She seemed like she was very. She seemed like she was. Very nervous. Well, it's because so, she but, knows she's milking a story. She's like, I have to, I have to make this a thing. But she like, also doesn't want to throw up in front of, you know, you're gonna pilot Pete. Pilot Pete and, I think and, she even said, I've never thrown up in front of a guy before. <laughs> is like, she the same girl uh, that okay. was like, and, and never, no guys ever bought me flowers before? <laughs> it's like, oh. And then this, the same girl was like, I guess he brought her a, a glass of water. She's like, nobody's ever treated me this oh well God. before. I'm like, oh. Lame yeah. girl. Yeah. When when Jack saw her say or heard her say, "I never thrown up in front of a guy before." Jack just yelled at the TV and said, "You haven't lived. Yeah, you haven't been hungover how like are, I have. How are you supposed to rally? I threw, yeah. up, in, I threw up in front of Jared three this days week. ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't throw up very much. We don't need to talk about this. Sorry. <laughs> like once a year tops. That's nice. I'm on a streak. You are. Yeah, I'm on like a. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> oh. Festival. Oh, yeah, year and a half. Year and a half, we're good. Year right. and a half? Oh, you're on a non-throw-up stream. Yeah. Oh, so, so you thought he was a bulimic there for a second. Yeah, no, I, I didn't, but I warned Jared about the man cold when we first started dating, and I was like, you're not allowed to have a fucking man cold because they're bullshit. What's a man cold? A man cold is just when a man has a cold and then they think the world is ending and then like they're, they're so sick. The dying. <laughs> <laughs> so sick. It's like shut the fuck up. Girls still work and go to work no, when they're sick and we, we do, don't complain. Because we have periods yeah. and it's worse. So anyways, I was warning Jared about it and then I had the stomach flu and then gave it to him and it was over a weekend that they're, it was like one of the be- biggest weekends of their 
We had like one of career. the biggest shows ever. We were doing the, the festival that we do in Phoenix. Yeah, and he and so he he gets my stomach flu, like barfing stomach flu. And he's like running back to the bathroom, throwing up. And then he's like, Jacqueline, do you want me to make you an Aperol spritz? <laughs> My hands like, are like shaking. And I'm pouring, I'm pouring the Prosecco into a glass. You're trying not to have it be, be, a, be a man cold. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm definitely not he's sick. He's like, I don't have a man cold. Should we take a shot? I'm pale. And just like, <laughs> it was great. You're like, please don't touch it. I'll pour my own. No. Yeah, I was like, get away from me, you sick, sick bastard. <laughs> Anyways. Have we killed enough time? 11 minutes and 13 seconds. Wow. Sweet. All right. Well, that's enough. That's not the right place to say that. Razzle dazzle. <laughs> that's showbiz babies. Razzle dazzle. Bitches. Bye. Bye. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.